Welcome to the Virtue Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and I get to share a little about stewardship and budgeting and putting God first in our finances. When I was asked to teach on this topic, my initial response was, yes, but how do I make that not boring? I was a financial analyst, so I think in spreadsheets and charts and graphs and PowerPoints, all I thought was, I'm going to put everyone to sleep. But I have to say now that I'm really excited about what the Lord gave me to share with all of you. In our short time here together, I'm going to touch on some foundational truths around finances, and then we'll dive into some of those practical how-tos. So why talk about money in church? Why is this important at all? Well, to start, Jesus taught about money in 11 of his 39 parables. It was actually his most talked about topic. And there are over 2,300 verses in the Bible on money, wealth, and possessions. So it seems like this is not something we should brush over, right? But let me start with this question, kind of an introspective question. If someone looked at your bank account or credit card statement, what could they tell about you based on how you spend your money? Now, this is not to make anyone feel guilty or shameful or anything like that, but it's an important thing to think about. Because the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts always go where we put God's money. God wants our hearts. He doesn't want anything in our lives to take the place of Him. The first of the Ten Commandments He gave us is, You shall have no other gods before me. And when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, we find in Mark 12 that it's, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. You see, money has a way of becoming an idol in our lives. This can be the thing we rely on to provide for us, look to for security, or even bring us delight. Now, money and possessions are not inherently bad. These are things that God actually gives to us. But the issues arise when we put the things God gives to us above God Himself. We can guard ourselves against the idol of wealth and materialism by offering all things back to the Lord to use as He intends them to be used. You know, everything we have belongs to the Lord. That includes our finances. He has given that to us, but God never intended us to live on 100% of the money that He gives to us. He intended that we give a portion back to Him and then faithfully manage the rest. So how much is that portion? Well, the Bible talks about giving a tithe, which literally means a tenth. A good goal to aim for is to give at least 10% back to the Lord. Now, some may be able to give more and others less than that, and that's all okay. The important part is that we're giving with pure motives and not giving to get something in return from God. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians 9-7 that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Remember, God doesn't need your money. He could accomplish everything without any of the resources we have. But again, He does want our hearts, and He does want us to be obedient to Him. He wants us to give back to Him for our sake, not His. I was able to experience this personally. When I was in my 20s, I was working for a large company in a very secure position. But after a few years, I had a real desire to leave that career and race my bicycle full-time professionally. Now, there is no money in women's cycling. I was not stepping in to a multi-million dollar contract by any means. So I knew I would have to save big time to make this possible at all. After a few years, I saved, I did all the math, and I figured out how many years I could live off of my savings. I felt like I was in a good place, so I went for it with cycling and left my comfortable career. I was not a believer at this time, but this path with cycling is what God used to bring me to Himself. 
After I gave my life to Christ, I wanted to start giving, but I literally was making no money. Even though technically 10% of zero is zero, I didn't want that to be an excuse to not give. At this time, I was still racing, and I had a coach that I paid for monthly. As I was praying about what I could give, a friend of mine who is a very good cyclist offered to coach me for free. Now, I'll be honest, my initial thought when she offered this was great. Now I can save the money I was using to pay for my other coach because watching my bank account continue to go down is making me really uncomfortable. But the Lord quickly checked me on that. You see, He made a way for me to give, not by giving me more, but by helping me redirect what He had already given me. And I was able to start giving. It wasn't a lot, but it was a start. Even as I was watching my bank account still go down, my desire to be obedient to the Lord outweighed my desire to feel comfortable and secure from a financial standpoint. I didn't realize how much I relied on my finances to feel secure until this moment. The Lord took me to a place where I had to get really uncomfortable, but learn to rely fully on Him to do what only He can promise, and that is to supply all of my needs through His glorious riches, not my bank account. Proverbs 3.9 tells us to honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. When we give back to God, we want that to come from the first of our increase, not simply what is left over at the end of the month. So how do we do that? Now let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. The first step is to get a handle on your finances by tracking how much you're making and spending. Our income generally comes to us in lump sums, usually weekly, every other week, or monthly but our expenses go out in increments. If we don't take the time to track our spending, we never see how that $10 here and $20 there quickly add up. That's where creating a budget comes in. I know that may sound boring and hard, but don't underestimate how important this is. It will take a little time and intentionality, but once you get the hang of it, it does get easier. And if you are married, I highly recommend you talk with your husband about this and work on it together. In the show notes of this podcast, we have a worksheet that you can use to start creating a budget. Income for most is usually pretty straightforward, but the expenses take some time. The worksheet has some general expense categories. These won't be applicable to everyone, and you may have expense items that I don't have here, so just make adjustments as needed. To start, look at your bank account. Credit card statements, uh, Venmo, PayPal, anything you use that you have money coming in or going out. But just look at it from the last month. Don't try to start out looking at your, your financial picture for an entire year. Go through and fill in your income sources and amounts, and then your expense sources and amounts. The expenses will, again, take a little bit more time, but you'll get the hang of it. Then subtract your expenses from income and see where you landed for the month. There are some online programs that work really well and help you track everything automatically in real time. I use a website called mint.com. It's free, so that's a bonus. You can connect all of your banking accounts to this website, and it will track all of your income and expenses. You can easily view how much you are spending in each category, set budgets, and even create alerts to help you stay within your budget. It takes some time to set up and to categorize everything correctly, but it's a really helpful tool. For some of you, this might be more sustainable than a paper budget. Do whatever will help you be consistent. After you go through this exercise, spend some time praying over the following questions. In what areas do you need to reduce your spending? Is there anything you could eliminate completely? Number two, what is the reasonable amount you should spend each month in these categories? This is now your budget or goal for those items. And three, how much is the Lord asking you to give back to Him? What might you need to change in order that your giving is from your first fruits? 
and not your leftovers. For some of you, this may be overwhelming if you've never done this before and you may not even know where to begin with getting on top of your finances. But don't get discouraged. I have some practical tips now to help manage your money a little better and be able to put God first in your finances. So number one, separate your needs from your wants. Buying things you don't actually need can be a big issue for some. And just because something is super cute doesn't actually mean that you need it, I know. Now, does this mean that you can never have new things or nice things or anything like that? Yes. Yes, it does. Just kidding. I'm really just kidding. It doesn't. Don't worry about that. You just don't want those things to make you strapped in your finances or to put you in a place of wanting more things. Shopping and getting new things can bring a sense of euphoria that can be addicting for some, but God wants our delight to be in Him, not stuff. And before you buy something, pray about it. Get wise counsel. God cares about how you spend your money because He cares about you. And if impulse buying is a struggle for you or sticking to a budget is going to be really challenging, find someone you can trust who can help hold you accountable. Number two, don't buy something on sale just because it's on sale. For example, if you see something that is normally $75 and now it's marked down to $50, you may think you saved $25. What a bargain! But if it's not something that you actually need, you didn't save $25, but you actually just spent $50. So this may sound a little shocking, but stores actually don't have your best interest in mind. They do things to get you to spend money. There's a particular store that I can think of where you can walk in to buy a birthday card and walk out $100 later trying to figure out where all your money just went. Now, for those consumable necessary items like non-perishable food or some bathroom necessities like toilet paper or things like that, it's generally a good idea to stock up when those things go on sale, but do it within reason. Number three, credit cards. Okay, there's nothing wrong with using credit cards. I use one regularly. But the issue with credit cards is that not everyone who uses one actually understands how they work. Just a little side note, credit card debt in America is almost at $1 trillion, so it is a bit of an issue. When you open a credit card, the bank gives you a maximum spending amount. You can charge up to that amount on your card. It's very easy to purchase things on a credit card, and nothing comes directly out of your bank account when doing this. At the end of the month, your credit card bill comes due. You have the option to pay it off completely, or you could pay what's called the minimum due, which can sometimes be around $25 to $30 depending on the type of card. So that might seem like a great option, right? Not quite. So credit cards have very high interest rates, usually around 20 to 25%. If you pay the full balance off right away when the bill comes due, you don't have to worry about interest. But if you don't, you're going to get charged interest on any amount you carry over to the next billing cycle until you pay it off fully. Yes, you still have to pay all of that amount. The interest adds up very quickly, and the more you charge, the more difficult it will be to pay off. If you have trouble with overspending on credit cards but want a non-cash option, a debit card might be better for you. The money is instantly deducted from your checking account, so if you don't have the funds, you can't make the purchase. Things like Venmo and Apple Pay that are connected directly to your checking account work the same way and are great options as well. Number four, be careful with pay over time services. Services like Afterpay allow you to purchase something by spreading the cost out over usually four payments staggered over a couple of months. This can give us a false sense that we can afford something because we are paying only a quarter of the price at the moment. But if you can't afford the full price, then you probably shouldn't buy it at all. 
Also, if you do this frequently, it can be easy to lose track of how many things you are making payments on, which can also lead to overspending. Now, I don't want to villainize services like this because I know there are times when this can be a good thing, like something unexpectedly breaks and you need to replace it. Spreading the payments out a little can help, but always check to see if you are being charged interest before signing up. If the service charges interest, you will always pay more over time, so take that into consideration before you opt in. Number five, check those subscriptions. It is very easy to just subscribe to things like streaming services. And many offer a free trial period, but then start to automatically charge you for the service after the trial period is up if you don't go in and cancel. If you're not looking at your expenses closely, you could be paying for some things that you don't even know you still have. Also, the cost of those services generally increase over time, so you may be paying more for those than you realize. Weigh that against how much you are actually using it. And number six, restaurants and coffee shops. There is nothing wrong with going out to restaurants or coffee shops, but if you're looking for ways to save, this could be a big one for some. If you eat out just one meal per day, say lunch that you don't want to pack a lunch for work or school, you'd prefer just to go grab something, and maybe you're spending about $15 a day, five days a week, that'll add up to almost $4,000 a year. If you do that daily coffee run with your $7 drink, again, five days a week, that's going to put you out about $1,800 per year. Those small expenses can add up quite quickly. Now, I know this is a lot of information, and it may still feel a bit overwhelming or impossible given your situation, but let me end with this encouragement. My cycling career ended shortly after I started walking with the Lord. I had to work through some health issues for a couple of years, but then the Lord opened the door for me to start working again. I remember looking at my bank account and noticing that it should have been almost completely depleted by this time based on my initial math when I first left my career but it wasn't. Everything in me wanted to analyze the numbers and figure out how this was even possible, but then I just stopped and realized that God's math is different than my math. And I think that's important to remember. I don't know your exact situation or how God is going to work through that, but I do know that when we are obedient to Him and trust Him and have our hearts fully devoted to Him, He makes the impossible possible. It doesn't mean that it won't be difficult or uncomfortable or even confusing at times, But when we are good stewards of what God gives to us, we will be blessed. And that blessing we receive for being obedient to Him and putting Him first may not necessarily be a bigger bank account in return, but I can guarantee the blessing will be the joy that comes from being a vessel God uses to bless others and to further His kingdom. Don't you want to be able to be a part of that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for all you have done and continue to do in our lives for providing everything we need, and that we can rest secure in you. We want to live our lives fully devoted to you. Help each of us to put you first and be good stewards of all that you have given to us. In Jesus' name.